0: Welcome to our podcast entitled Last Ones at the Bar. We're here to talk about all of the important affairs in the sport of boxing. My name is William Henry, and I'm accompanied by Daniel Lee and Lavelle Jackson. This week, we got a lot of topics that we're gonna discuss. We've broken them down, where some of them we're gonna take um, individually, but we still all may chime in on those topics um, as well. But we have so many. I was thinking about not having an introductory question but I still want to do it just to go ahead, lighten the load, and you know, get everybody comfortable and ready to talk boxing. But before we get started, fellas, quick question I have for you: because tonight, you know, we talk about verses, we talk about, you know, a plethora of topics, um, just to introduce the week's, you know, material that we're going to discuss. But this week, what I want to ask you is this: um, I was just thinking about just TV in general. Do you guys have any, like, TV shows or anything like that that you watch on a regular basis?
1: Oh, man. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's plenty of shows that I watch and I try to catch, you know, even my schedule. Thank goodness we we got DVR and all that other good stuff that we did have, like, in the 80s and 90s when I was addicted to television. But uh, some good shows that I watch, uh, of course, we have, you know, The Walking Dead that's, you know, pretty much wrapping up. I think it's the last season. Uh, 911 is a pretty good show. Let me see. It's a few hospital shows that I watch, you know, like New Amsterdam and shows like that. That new edition of the Wonder Years, if you want to check that out, you can. That's a a pretty good show. I did enjoy Power Book 3. Some people, people didn't, a lot of people didn't like it. I thought it was cool. You know, some good shows out there, you know. I'm pretty sure it's more, but those are the ones that I know off the top of my head. Me and my
2: girl, we do, like, TV dates every every Friday night. And so, um, like, we'll cycle in and out of shows. But this year, in general, we've been on, like, those MCU Disney Plus shows, like WandaVision, Low-Key, Falcon Winter Soldier. Um, at the beginning of the year, I been Snowfall kind of to the point where I was able to catch up with the S- Season 4 as it was kind of in those last few episodes. Um, Nine Perfect Strangers was out on Hulu. It is still out on Hulu, um, but it just ended maybe a few weeks ago. That was pretty good. And I just literally just started watching the show You. It may or may not stick, but uh, so far so good. I'm like one episode in. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I'm I'm off the
0: Richter, man. I'm going to be honest with you. I was asking because I had a little free time last week on Monday since we didn't have to go to work. And I was like, you know what, this might be a time for me to catch me a show that, you know, will be one of the ones that I would want to see, you know, what I mean, like series and, um, you know, just keep abreast up, but I just couldn't do it. You know what I mean? Like, as I get older, I find myself more like my father. I come home and, and quite often I don't have, I don't know if I don't have time to watch it. I just never, Turn on the TV. And then sometimes when I do, you know, I go straight to stuff like CNN and um, news and stuff like that. Or if it's like a football game and I really, if it's on, I'm really watching it as I'm going to sleep. But the last time that I really was like had a show, and it's going to seem crazy, that I watched like on a consistent basis that I had to be there like Sunday nights, it was The Wire. Like it was back in 2008. You know what I mean? Um, That was like the last time I never found a show that I like like that since then. It's been certain shows I I see every now and then, like Grey's Anatomy, I I would check out a little bit um, and a few others, but nothing where I was just, I had to see it and I couldn't wait for the next episode, you know? And some of these shows that are all now, like that people are interested in, I never really, when I would watch it, for instance, you had to show um, the Empire, right? I tried to watch that one time. And I remember when it came on, people were just like, had these rave reviews about how good it was. And, Did you see this? Do, this? Do you see that? I go to the break room and people just talking about Empire. So one time I ended up coming home. It was the season finale. And when I watched it, I saw like the first segment. And I'm like, okay, all right. You know, the show is about to pick up but then i went on social media and i saw people saying did you see that i, I don't know what's going to happen next and i'm like we must then see the same thing <laughs> Yeah, it wasn't even about anything and so that kind of turned me off so when people start talking about shows like and these shows could be good like power and stuff and stuff like that and they're saying the same type of stuff i'm not necessarily interested because i think that they false flag in terms of you know how good the show is but i just thought I, I asked those questions of you guys i shouldn't appreciate it i might have to check out some of the shows that you mentioned uh, walking dead snowfall you you know what i mean i might have to check some of those out so i appreciate that now let's go ahead and get it off into these uh boxing topics right so we want to go ahead it was a pretty good fight weekend especially if you are a hardcore boxing fan uh, so speaking of the excitement of it um, let's go with probably the most exciting fight that we had this weekend, which was Emmanuel Navarrete. He was defending his WBO featherweight belt against Joe Gonzalez. Um, I know you guys saw it. Um, what did you think about both guys' performance?
1: Yeah, this, this fight lived up to uh, a lot of expectations. And even I saw some, uh, some things in there that I thought were different than what I thought I was gonna see. Now, uh, we have Emmanuel Navarrete uh, champion at 126. Uh, one of the champions won at 126 after the weight, uh, 34 and one with 29 uh, knockouts. uh the, the fights that I did see him in, I saw him against uh, a few fights, but the ones that I remember is definitely his two with Isaac uh, Dog Bay, which was uh, both were pretty brutal fights uh, for Dog Bay, where he pretty much put the beat down on them. Uh, and he and uh, Navarette is going against Joette Gonzalez, who is twenty-four and one with fourteen knockouts. Of course, that one loss came from uh, Shakur Stevenson, which was an interesting matchup, and more so for the, uh, the 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 pre-fight, the things that were going on in pre-fight. If at the time, I, I don't know if this is still true, that Shakur Stevenson was dating Joette Gonzalez's sister, so that brought interest in Rico to you know that fight uh, and I always thought Joey Gonzalez, was, you know, from that, even from that fight. I mean, he was, he was a tough guy, stayed in there. He didn't just give up on himself. So this fight, uh, was definitely an, an exciting fight. Um, but it was basically one off of a of basic volume, 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 like Navarrete. He just, he has his motor and he just turned it up and, and he, and he just kept doing it. Uh, um, uh, he did a great job of using his jab. You know, he 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 used a lot of movement. He moved around uh, Gonzalez Gonzalez, and pretty much he played the the matador with him. And Gonzalez was did a great job of punching with Navarrete. Now he didn't have the the, the volume that Navarrete uh, had throughout the fight, but he was you know some of his shots was was very very hard. Even though Navarrete was hurting Joey Gonzalez more from. More so volume because he's just throwing so many punches and hitting them. Gonzalez was throwing these hard punches to the body that was really, you know, it, 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 I think it even made Navarrete say, hey, look, man, I'm going to move a little bit more. I'm not going to just stay and just bang with this guy. Because even though Navarrete, you know, he's five with seven, you know, he has 72 inch reach, uh, I think uh, he, he still is naturally smaller than Gonzalez in a way because uh, Navarrete moved up from 122. And Gonzalez has pretty much uh, been at featherweight since you know his career started. So Gonzalez is probably a little more stockier, and and Navarrete, I guess he was feeling some of those those body shots, and you know, and some of those shots in his, in these exchanges that he was getting hit with. It's that Navarrete did a good job of ending those combinations. Once those exchanges ended, Navarrete would end end it and then move away, uh, uh, and that would force Gonzalez to have to track him down again and cut the ring off again. And it, was, it was a very it was a brutal fight for both guys. I think Gonzalez did. I think he, he suffered a, a broken orbital bone. Um, but props to him, it was a, it was a really really tough fight for him to just fight through, and he didn't give up. And I was very surprised that beforehand, I saw some some uh, things online that people were thinking that Navarrete was gonna uh, gonna stop Gonzalez, and I knew that wasn't gonna be the case unless it was on some. Some even even the injury yesterday, I think it would have been on something like that. But even then, Gonzalez fought through it. Uh, he, he, it and there was certain rounds where uh, Joey was just giving it to Navarrete in in bunches, but it just wasn't enough to overall to, to win the fight. Uh, but it was a it was a good fight. Um, I think there was a knockdown. There might have been a knockdown that wasn't scored. I think it was in the I can't remember what round that was in. But, but I think there, there was a, a – I think it was a knockdown that wasn't scored, that should have been scored for uh, Gonzalez. But even then, uh, it, it was a, it was an entertaining fight to watch. If you haven't watched it, check it out.
0: Great fight. You know, I was b- very entertained. I was very um, proud of both guys, you know what I mean, the effort that they put in. And you have to give it up to those guys. After all of that work that they put in, each guy – um, was so well conditioned that they were able to continue to fire and bang away, you know, for the full 12 rounds. But how I had it, rounds one through three, I gave to uh, Naparete. And then he opened a cut under Joette's eyes in the, I think it was his right eye in the second round. And Naparete, he was just landing some like some hard body shots too. Like he's one of those type of guys that is different. It sounds different when he, you know, touches guys to the body, like you can hear that thudding sound. Round three, um, Navarrete, at that point, he started to unleash a jab, you know, he was changing his rhythm with his punches, like jab high, jab low. Round four is when Joette kind of got back into the fight because he hurt Navarrete with a big right hand in an exchange that they had in that round. Rounds, uh, let's see, five through seven, I gave it to Navarrete. I thought, you know, Gonzalez was putting on, you know, a yeoman's effort, but at the same time, it's just that volume that Navarrete. Once he changed gears, it was like he was just landing some of those wide, awkward shots that he likes to throw, and he was effective. So I gave them all of those rounds, rounds eight and nine, I gave those to Gonzalez. It began to be a back and forth type thing, you know, ebbs and flows. You know, both guys was in there banging. But Joette, he kept pushing Navarrete back. And that was the game plan that they had because they felt like Navarrete couldn't fight going backwards. But it just wasn't. It's hard to do that consistently against a guy like that. And then also, he just wasn't missing much when he was throwing his his shots. And that's Navarrete, who I'm referring to. Rounds of 10 and 11. I don't know. It it was close. You know what I mean? I I didn't know who to give each guy those rounds to. You could lean towards Gonzalez, but it was a lot of good back and forth action in there. Um, I would have to revisit the fight to give somebody the nod. you know, in those rounds. And then round 12, I thought, again, the volume. I just thought that, you know, Navarrete, he um, you know, he was just landing the more effective shots. You know, Gonzalez had his moments. But at the same time, I just thought that Navarrete was doing a better work. Um, Both of those guys, man, they threw a whole bunch of punches, you know, in the fight. Um, It was just a really good scrap. You know, I would look forward to seeing them, you know, do it again if they choose to. I don't know how quickly Gonzalez can get back in the ring, you know, based on the damage that was done to his eye. But if they can't do that, you know, Navarrete says he just wants all of the big fights now and he deserves it you know, after putting on such a great performance. And, you know, that was a brutal fight, you know what I mean, for both guys. Hopefully, you know, we don't – that's not – they didn't leave it in the rain and we don't see, like, the best of them again. But um, at the same time, you know, that's what it's all about when it comes to boxing. The last thing I'm going to say also is Navarrete, he has the WBO belt. But if if I was him, I would attempt to become the – Undisputed champ because I think he can. I think, uh, I know uh, Warrington doesn't have the belt anymore. And I'm not sure if Laura has the belt because I think Warrington gave it up before they had their first fight. But he should seek out other champions at 126. And, you know, like I said, attempt to be the undisputed champ there. But man, hats off to both guys for showing so much heart and being so conditioned. Um, I look forward to, you know, seeing each guy again in the future.
2: Yeah, it was a heck of a fight, man. Um, <laughs> one of the things I, I thought, though, while I was watching it was I bet Shakur was was watching the fight like, mm-hmm, see? Because, I mean, it, it did make to his credit, it did make his performance against Gonzalez look even more masterful than it was. But back to this fight, though, um, I had scored at 117, 112 in favor of Navarrete overall. Um, a lot of those rounds were close, but Navarrete's work rate just made Gonzalez like shell up some, um, and in, in, in you know instances where he could have otherwise traded. Um, Gonzalez was game the whole fight, you know what I mean? Like shout out to him, much respect. Um, but Navarrete just he won a lot of those rounds off the strength of his work rate. Um, now in terms of moving forward, I've heard rumblings that uh, he may move up to challenge Oscar Valdez. Um, to be honest, I would rather see—I would much rather see Valdez fight against the Stevenson-Herring winner. But uh, that's what I've heard. But overall, it was a good fight. You guys said most of what I could have said about the fight itself, so I'm not going to belabor. Uh, you guys have anything else to say before we move on? I just have a question.
0: So, if that is the case, if he was to fight Valdez, who would you lean towards in that fight?
2: That's a good one. I would personally lean towards Valdez. Um, if Navarrete is going to move up and wait again and immediately to fight Valdez, he, he's a big 126, but I just think Valdez is going to be a little better prepared for that. And, and that, that left hook, I think, is going to do, if he catches Navarrete the way Gonzalez was, that left hook is going to do some damage. And I don't know if his Navarrete's work rate is going to be the same if he starts taking damage like that. So I would lean
1: Valdez. What about you? I would lean towards Valdez also for, for the same reason. I think Navarrete is moving up again, and I think this might be his, what, his fourth or fifth fight at featherweight uh, from uh, super bantamweight. And going against Valdez, even though Valdez is probably shorter, Valdez is is, a, is a naturally a guy that's at pretty much at 130 and, and, and hurting guys at that weight. And so... Uh, it would be an exciting fight. I, I I would rather see, uh, like 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 I said, I'd rather see Valdez go against the Herring Stevenson winner, and for Navarrete, uh, I'd rather have him unify and try to get uh, a fight with with uh, Mr. Gary Russell Jr. That's what I would want to see.
0: As far as a fight between Navarrete and um, Valdez, I think it would be verschel all over again. The they he- Similarly, you know what I mean, as far as coming in there with those shots, and then sometimes uh, said hes wide open, and I think that somebody who's a sharpshooter with power—that's gonna be his demise right there. Again, guys who shoot straight up the middle—they can work, they can punch with you. Now Gonzalez did that a couple times. They say he rocked them in the fourth when he when he uh, landed, but he just doesn't do it all the time. And some of those guys, like a Shakur Stevens, Stevenson, um Faudes, any of those elite-level guys. Now, Shakur doesn't have the power, but he just would be able to get out of the way of those shots. But it would be ugly um, for Navarrete against him. But I know we're not talking about him facing Shakur. Um, but I'm just saying with his style, I think that he'll give all of those other guys trouble. That's why I said that I would prefer for him, for his sake, is to um, unify those belts at at Featherweight, and I think that, you know, that's something that he can look back historically that, you know, a a great accomplishment that he would have. And then later on, after you accomplish something like that, then you might want to, you know, go after a a Valdez or somebody like that and see where your talent takes you, you know what I mean, if I'm good enough to do that. But right now, um, I think that it wouldn't
2: be wise. I agree. Um, I mean, I do see where, look, I'm, I'm not sure who, initiated that news for you know for you know publication to be reporting it if i'm not going to dare to be great and i'm going to take it but me as a boxer fan i'm like who who protected valdez because i mean it seems to me like the obvious match would be like to unify 130 but it's like you know i mean this this potential news wouldn't come out of nowhere and it would seem to be to the benefit of valdez more than anybody but you know what i mean like Boxing on boxing, though.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think, though, they can probably... With their their styles, like, they have a friend, friendly style. You can sell that fight. You know what I mean? So I can see how that can be the case. Then you got the Mexican-Mexican type thing. And the WBC is all about that. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, they actually kind of provide certain safeguards for their people. You know what I'm saying? So I just can see all of those things. Mexican Independence Day, Single Day Mayo. You know what I mean? Like, they just... They can do it, do it up with that one if they decide to go in that direction.
2: Yeah, for sure. But, you know, we just finished talking about a dynamite fight. Now we're going to talk about a not so dynamite fight. Um, we saw Mikey Garcia against Sandor Martin yesterday. How do you guys, how do you guys see that one?
0: Okay. So we had Mikey, uh, Garcia. He was, uh, huge favorite going into this fight. You know what I mean? I don't know anybody who picked uh, Martine, you know, to even be competitive in this one. You know, I thought that most people would think that he would, Mikey would either get a clear cut decision victory or, you know, knockout. I thought Mike was going to knock the dude out. Like I said, based on the fact that one of his losses, although Martine was coming in with the nine-fight win streak. His last loss was against Anthony Can You Dig It, Yigit. And I'm like, Anthony Can You Dig It, Yigit, he just got knocked out by Roley. You know what I'm saying? So that's all I need to know going into this fight. I'm like, man, if the man has knocked out then certainly my main man, Mikey Garcia, won't let this guy, you know, be the one that puts another blemish on his record. You know, obviously I was wrong. And I'm also mad at Mikey because my fight streak has ended because of you. I've been doing a really great job of predicting. But I think that everybody who uh, predicted this fight was in the same boat. Um, As Martine was coming in off of a nine fight win streak, Mikey has been very inactive. Um, And the announcer made the point that He's only had seven fights since 2014, and then even in his last outing, it was in February of 2020 when he fought against Jesse Vargas. Other thing that I want to mention before I get into my breakdown of how I saw the fight is I think Mikey, he might want to reconsider this World thing. You know, he might want to at least go down to 140 because it's just – Things that he probably wants to do and could do at the lower weights when you fight an, an opponent, um, the caliber of a Martin that he probably thought he would be able to get away with and do. It's just he may not be able to do that against a bigger guy who can take, you know, the heavier shots as opposed to against some of those smaller guys once he touches them, then you know, the fight is pretty much I wouldn't necessarily say over, but it would be in his favor. But against um martine it just that wasn't the case but anyway what i noticed in this fight first round it was a filling out round um you probably could have given it to mikey um round two very little action i gave it to martine um but then round three is when it started to pick up and the fact that mikey wasn't getting anything off early martine i think in round three is when he started you know he, he landed like a nice counter off the ropes and then by round four I noticed that he landed a nice left, like right down the pike on Mikey and that started giving him confidence because Mikey really wasn't, he was still being so patient. Um, And once he started gaining confidence, when I knew he was really confident, it was one time he landed this sneaky uppercut. It it landed on Mikey and it was just, you, you don't throw that punch if you're not confident. And then the fact that he landed it and he did it with such ease, you know, And then also he was catching Mikey with counters like off the ropes on a consistent basis. He was clipping them like on the way out, he'll clip them with a right hand. And so that's when I was like, Oh, this might be a long night for Mikey. If you know, he doesn't pick up the pace. And also this is not a 12 round fight. So Mikey likes to be patient and break people down and you don't have that luxury. You starting to have a lot of rounds that is going in Martin's uh, favor now round five, early on martin uh, sandor he was doing a good job of staying off the ropes keeping the fight in the center of the ring but then later in the round mikey landed um some nice punches on the rope so i gave round five to Mikey, and then round six i slightly favored a close round to mikey um but it wasn't anything special round seven as well i just thought that those rounds wasn't anything special and the fact that Mikey is the marquee guy on the bill i figured that they would probably end up giving him those rounds um round eight um, Martinez, he was just executing a perfect plan by maintaining a distance, and then sometimes when Mikey tried to get in there, and you know throw some of the combinations he's known for, that Martinez was just simply either clinching or, you know, he just would be a little bit too elusive. And then it got to a point where at the end of the rounds, like, man, this dude is whooping on Mikey a little bit too. So I gave round eight to Martinez. Round nine. I gave that to Mikey, and then round 10, I thought that it was close, but I thought that Martin sealed the deal when he um, like landed a few combinations on Mikey towards the end of the round. So really, the way I had it, I had I thought the fight really was even, but it was one of those fights where the guy who won majority, not majority of the rounds, the guy who won the rounds that he won, he did it in a more convincing fashion. Like The, my, the rounds that Mikey won it was like he just barely won those rounds. So when you just think about the fight and you're not scoring it at all, then you'll be like, um, Sandor Martin won that fight. You know what I mean? And so I could have seen a draw or Martin um, being victorious, but I didn't see Mikey winning the fight. But I just thought that all in all, when I um, scored it, that it ended up being even. Now, just a couple other things that I just wanted to mention before I turn it over to you guys is that – what I notice is that obviously Mikey to me is similar to when I talk about Julian Williams. Now, to me, he's a better fighter than Julian Williams, but he still falls under the same category of somebody who really he doesn't have many like special effects. He's really solid, like really solid at everything that he does, which makes him like kind of a, almost a great fighter, just being so balanced at everything that he's able to do. But Those type of fighters, a lot of times, since they don't have that special effect that when they fight lower level opposition and they're not on their game, they're being inactive, then it's going to be trouble for them against somebody who's not as talented, but they are on their game. Martin had fought in April, and then he also just had fought in December previous to that. So... He was twice, he had two fights by the time Mikey had his last fight. So he was fine-tuned, you know. And Mikey, to me, he was he was off his game slightly. His time and the rhythm was off early. And then he was headhunting too much. But all in all, what I'm saying is, is that I think if Mikey was on his game, he was fighting more on a consistent basis. I think he would have won that fight. Clearly, I think he probably would have stopped Martin, but he put himself in jeopardy by not being active in this it finally start to catch up to him you know in this fight you know it's certain guys like i remember seeing and i don't want to be long-winded with what i'm talking about you know sometimes even though you don't want to be something you still are you know what i'm saying but like guys like i remember seeing marco antonio Barrera in new orleans this like early 2000 and what i noticed with him he was fighting a like kind of a stay busy fight or you know just a Stay active. Like it wasn't. A, it was a nondescript guy. He was facing, but I remember, like when he was throwing his punches, how heavy his right hand was. Like his right hand was just every time he would just touch the dude, boom, you would you would hear it, and I was like, dang, how's this dude taking that? But he had an, a special effect. The difference is that with this special effect, that when he fights somebody, a nondescript opponent that they'll know that they don't belong in a ring with them just based on the fact of how heavy he punches. And so, like, Mikey not having that special effect and the fact, like I said, his timing was off and he's fighting a boxer, too. Like, the other problem that Mikey faced in this one is that coming off of a long layoff, it's a little bit more difficult when you're fighting somebody who's a boxer. I don't know if he knew that Martin, if he was a boxer or not, coming into the fight, um, because they said he don't watch film on his opponent. He just tried to figure him out in the early rounds. So I don't know how true that is, but if that is the case, then that definitely would have put him even more in a world of trouble. But like I say, just not having that special fight. Last thing I'm going to say is, is similar to, I remember that same arena in New Orleans. I remember around that same time, I went to go see the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I was wondering in my mind, I said, what makes, what's the difference between like a pro bowler and like a regular guy? Because I used to hear about dudes names a lot, but just watching on TV, sometimes you can't really see it unless you have a trained eye, like you're a football player or something like that. You'll be able to see more so or understand it and know more so than somebody who's not. So being at the game live, I remember seeing guys like Derek Brooks, Warren Sapp, like when they would, tackle somebody or they touch somebody those dudes wouldn't move that's it like you you're not going any further like as soon as the running back something like that hit them and you know going to them then they go down other guys they might get you know some more yards after contact or yards after catches and things like that but you were not going to do that with brooks or you're going to get pushed back right and so that's like kind of like the elite fighters right like some of those guys i consider mikey elite is just he's minus the special effect, but you would have seen more um, out of him. And I think that Mikey Garcia, like when you talk about Barrera and him, I think that he probably has like better power in both hands than um, Barrera, maybe. But that as far as like that one effect of once you get touched by that punch and also Barrera was fighting lower um. Weight in the lower weight class, he stayed there. He wasn't trying to go up like Mikey's doing. And like I said, that's the reason why I was saying earlier also is he might want to reconsider the 147-pound thing too because that may not be something that's going to be suitable to him just fighting those bigger guys because they can take more. And like I said, by not having that special effect, that's going to do um, my main man Mikey in. But all in all, great win for Sander Martin. I don't want to take anything away from him. Um, I think they're likely to set up a rematch, but I think that that's something Mikey might want to correct before he goes into another big fight. And this truly is the last thing I'm going to say, is what I think that Mikey should do, is after he gets the rematch against Martín, right that wrong, he should fight guys like who was in, uh, Jose Ramirez was in the house. I think that that's a good fight for Mikey Garcia. Regis Progress is still a good fight for Mikey Garcia. But don't try to, you know, get a rematch, and then go into a fight with one of those bigger 147 pound fighters because you're going to put yourself too far at this disadvantage But that's all I have.
2: Yeah, the first seven rounds was kind of weird to watch for me because it was like they would show the numbers and Garcia was punching and landing more but my eyes were telling me that Martin was winning the fight. Like Garcia was doing this thing where he would walk him down and, you know, the commentary was like, you know, this is going to mentally exhaust Martin, but he seemed comfortable being walked down. Like, he fought well off the back foot. And then when Garcia seemed like he wanted to come in, boom, there were several times where Mar- Martin would catch him coming in. And then Garcia didn't do a great job of cutting off the ring. And so, like, when, Mar- when Garcia would, would try to come off the ring, Martin would find a way out of there. And he just didn't let Garcia establish the jab. And so, like, I caught this fight. Like, I was doing a round-by-round on our Twitter page. And after round seven for those who saw it or for those who didn't see it, I was like, I didn't have me saying Mikey Garcia needs a knockout on my bingo card, but I think we here. And then like, right <laughs> after that, they went to Jessica McCaskill and she said the same thing. Like, I was like, this is, it It was just like a twilight zone kind of moment for me to say, for me to even think that Garcia might've needed the knockout, which in my mind wasn't going to happen because he wasn't hurting Martine up to that point. And so the question for me was, was it ring rust or what? It looked more mental to me because it was like Garcia never really figured out what to do with Martin's game plan. And it also looked like he didn't think that he needed to figure it out because he was fighting as if he was up on the cards the whole time. You know what I mean? Like after round nine, he's like pumping his fist to the crowd. And I'm like, the crowd not even like into it like that. And then, you know, he he's not really fighting with a whole lot of desperation in round 10. And then the whole time Martin landed, I think, 31 punches that round. And so I had Martin up at that point and I had a win in 96-94. But he fought that last round as if he was down on the cards and really needed that round, which I respected a ton. So I'm not sure if a rematch is going to be next for these guys. But if Garcia wants to have a crack at any of those names that you was mentioning, Will he's going to have to look like he's ready for that kind of smoke. So, yeah, I feel like the rematch is all but inevitable.
1: Yeah, I think this is just somewhat just a result of Mikey not really uh, being up for this fight. He seemed kind of, you know, bloated. He seemed sluggish. He seemed like he he basically thought that he was walking and went off his, his skills alone and not actually taking training seriously. Not saying he didn't take his training seriously, but he didn't do it to the, the fullest of his ability. Um, and, and it's kind of evidenced by this fight being at, I think it was at a catchweight at 145. This fight could have been at 140. I mean, Sander Martin fights at 140. And it's not like he's bigger than a lot of the, the guys that Mikey is chasing. He really isn't, you know. So I think it I think Garcia, it was kind of him overlooking Martin Martin also, because everything that would come out as my my forehead before this fight was Regis' gray and I think they were spending so much energy trying to build towards that fight and get that fight hyped up. Even Regis Prograde was 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 uh you know upset that Mikey lost. <laughs> so uh, I I think you know he Mikey could probably do better in a rematch, and, and and I don't think he can can stop Martin. I'm not sure because of how Martin fighting and some of the trouble that he was giving him unless martin can't fight like that anymore but it was just telling that, that that Mikey garcia looked like he was trying to figure martin out for like four or five rounds and, and once he started having success i mean it, it was almost like this is a 10-round fight This is not a 12-round fight where you know you can come back you know uh and, and it was telling that martin was winning the the the, solid, the jabbing contest with Mikey garcia and mikey it was like they were jostling for for you know seconds at a time trying to see who could jab who and Martin was winning those exchanges. I think and, and I thought it was weird when the lights went out in the second round. I thought that was a uh, interesting occurrence. <laughs> but you know it it was uh it wasn't like this exciting fight of course this wasn't like the, the fight we just covered but it, you know as far as uh boxing I mean we we did see Martin, sander martin do his thing and i, I thought it was interesting and and, and you know it, i wouldn't mind seeing him martin against you know some other opposition to see you know what really does he have you know what opponents will make him get up for it. but maybe mike garcia can learn from this and 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 as y'all said i don't think he really belongs in, at both weight uh i always thought that 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 was probably a result of him not really taking his training seriously um because he really he can probably make really i think the best way to weight for him was uh, at lightweight. And, and we have to remember, Mikey started at, like, featherweight, you know. So when, once somebody moved to, from featherweight to, you know, welterweight, and it's not like they're, like, the man in those weight classes that they're moving through, sometimes there's, a, there's an issue. And, and I think that issue was with, with you know, with weight and, and probably with dedication because Mikey is one of those guys, up to this point, to a certain point, he was talented enough to, to, to get by, you know, he didn't seem like he was – mentally like really really into it it seems like he's more business than he is boxing he just knows how to box better than the average person uh but hopefully you know he can take this lesson home and you know come back and be who he's supposed to be and if i were him i would campaign at 140 and i wouldn't even go back to down 135 even though he should have stayed there i would campaign at 140 but other than that uh it was an interesting fight to watch nonetheless Uh, you guys have anything else to to share Let me say a few things. For one, Sander Martin is not going to beat anybody that, like
0: any of those better guys. If Mikey just, think about it. Mike, Mike, If Mikey could handle like a Robert Easter, then he could have handled this guy. Mikey Garcia is just in a situation where he's living a little high on the hog. You know what I mean? He had the big payday against Spence. And he's a good fighter. He's very good. He's a very solid fighter. I think he would have been better suited to come back against somebody who's going to bring the fight to him because he's a counterpuncher. But what Senator Martin tricked him with was that he was countering him and forcing him to be more aggressive or attempt to be aggressive. And he's just not really, that's not really his way of operating. And also the long layoff, like all of those things play the fact that he never got in a position where he got an exchange that was going to do some damage to Martin. Martin was just too much on his game for him and for for Garcia to be off his game enough where it just was always causing a problem in terms of the rhythm. But again, I guarantee you, if Mikey Garcia takes this fight serious and they have a rematch, he's gonna wipe this dude. He's gonna wipe the floor with this dude. All those other guys will wipe the floor with this dude. Now. Fighters have off nights, like, so I'm not just going to throw the baby out with the bathwater when it comes to Mikey Garcia, because I seen Roberto Duran lose against, uh, I forgot the dude's first name, but his name was Lang, like, he's like a very poor fighter, but he was a boxer, Um, Duran didn't take him serious, and then Duran lost another fight after that, but then Duran came back and beat all type of dudes after that, you know what I mean? I think if you put somebody in front of Mikey Garcia, who's going to pressure him, you'll see the best Mikey Garcia that you're going to see. But he's gonna have a little bit more trouble fighting against dudes who just gonna box him and not willing to exchange, gonna clinch him, gonna move around and things like that. And that's in their nature to do it. You'll have trouble with them, but I still think he can defeat those guys if he's on his game. He just wasn't on his game yesterday, you know, for 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 various reasons.
1: Yeah, I think he wasn't on his game. But I think also it's, it's mental too. I don't think he he. He I think he, he's the type of fighter that right at this point is wants the paydays. I don't think he's mentally he's really in it like that to be a to compete really against the best. He's want big fights against the best because it brings big money. That's my personal opinion. I could be wrong. So my question to you would be this. What like in the past, with with
0: the exception of the Spence fight, what gives you the impression that he's not in it anymore? You know, against those other uh, elite level guys?
1: even when you look at look at the Spence fight yeah he believed he could beat Spence but he moved up he had so so many other fights that he could have fought at lightweight he left the lightweight division when it was getting hot and he could have had a good chance to beat those guys he never even went went back down even when you look at what he's done since the Spence fight i mean what really has he done and, and he's he's in one of the hottest like, for example, he's, a, he's what I call a floater right now because he, he's really not at 140, but he's really not at 147. So he, he can kind of go between the two weight classes. And both of them are very hot weight classes right now. And what has he done even since the Spence fight? Now, I give him COVID and all that stuff that's been going on. But, I mean, at the same time, it's like, what? What are you doing? Hey, you just you
0: just answered your question. COVID. <laughs> like, what are you supposed to do? Like, he can't fight... Uh, pretty much a lot of people were on the shelf during COVID. So he fought Spence in what? 2018, 19? COVID hit. You know what I'm saying? He had that one fight at 147 that he had. Um, Vargas. Yeah, he fought Vargas. You know, what, what can he He was on the verge of fighting Regis. He was trying to, like, you know, get a little tune up in. You know, and he got tuned up. So it happens. I got to see him, like I say, let him fight Regis. And if he's performing like that against like a Regis program, I think Regis is like right there. As far as a matchup, that is something that's going to be right up Mikey's alley because you got somebody who's going to be firing those shots. He's a counter puncher. He's a pretty solid puncher with both hands. And he's fighting somebody that's not too big for him. somebody that height wise is going to be suitable for his style. And let's see what happens when he fights somebody like that. You know what I mean? Like, if I ever see Mikey Garcia fighting against a pressure fighter and he's not successful in those matchups, then I'm going to be questioning whether or not Mikey really, his heart still is in it. But when he finds somebody who's moving around, and I don't give him, like, any type of excuse, but, you know, that was going to be a difficult match right there just based on the circumstances. We add all of those factors in being off for a long time not really respecting the opponent you know dude losing that anthony can you dig it yiggy? you know what i mean like you already looking past him, talking about other guys you know a lot of times people have hiccups under those circumstances but again if i see him face somebody like regis and he can't get up for that then i know something is not right he's not in it like he was before but until then you know i
1: think that mikey's still mike okay uh moving along uh there was a uh a pretty interesting cruiserweight bout that happened yesterday. I'm talking about uh, Marius uh, Breidis uh, versus Arthur Mann. Uh, did you guys uh, see that fight? If you did, what were your thoughts on it?
0: Yeah, we have my main man, man um, Marius Breidis. You know, from Latvia, entering into this fight at 27-1 with tw- with 19 KOs, 36 years old, six-one with a 75-inch reach. Went against Arthur Mann, 31 years old six, one, seventeen one and nine, with nine KOs out of Germany. Now, um, this fight lasted, I want to say like three rounds when, you know, I first started watching the fight. I'm like, look at old is He coming out here looking like a Hooper from DC. You know, he come out there, he had a long shorts on with the high knee socks on. You know what I'm saying? I was like, he looked like, Oh, Walt, um, what was Walt's name? Walt Williams from DC. I was like, come on, man. Like what, what's up with that? But anyway, <laughs> um, Round one came around, Bradis came out with a stiff jab, throwing lefts and rights. You know, he throws punches with mean intentions. You know, man was holding his own, but Bradis, you know, just landed the heavier shot. So I had to give round one to Bradis. Round two was a 10-8 round. Man was throwing some chopping rights, but Bradis dropped him with the big right hand at the end of that round. And he probably would have finished him off had it not been like right at the end of the second round. Because you just can't stand in front of Bradis, you know. Um, but up to that point, I I noticed that he was looking slightly slower than he had in the past. Again, he's fighting somebody that he knows that he's just a superior fighter. So I don't know if he, you know, what the deal was, um, or if he's just getting older because I mean, he's just getting slower because of his age. Like I say, he's 36 going on 37, but that power is still there. You know what I mean? Or is even heavier than it was previously round three came around. Um, was moving man with shots. Like he was. Bredis, I mean, a man had his hands up on the ropes, but Bradis is such a powerful puncher that he was still just moving the man around with his shots. You know what I'm saying? Um, he was landing some hard body shots. You know, then towards the middle of the round, the uppercut sent man down again. And, you know, Bradis was ready to go home. You know what I'm saying? Like, he, don't, he ain't trying to get paid for overtime or anything like that. And he's one of the best, the most vicious finishers in boxing. My word of advice to anybody that's fighting Bradis don't get hurt against that man. Cause that man is a shark. You know what I mean? He's that blood is in the water and he's going for the kill. Um, very good victory. And also keep in mind, Bredis, he lost the razor thin decision to Uzi. Some people thought it was a draw. Some people thought Bradis may have won that fight, but um, you know, highly skilled, heavy handed cruiserweight, you don't get a chance to, to uh, if you haven't seen him before, make sure you be on the lookout for that guy. I don't know how long that he has left at the elite level, being at his age, but I'm looking forward to him and Ocoli. Hopefully,
1: that's next, and
0: you know that should be a shootout.
1: Yeah, I checked this fight out also. Uh, it was it was definitely uh, exciting for for as long as it lasts. I mean, <laughs> uh, but when when Brad is he he got going, he got going. Uh, yeah, yeah, those punches just, especially in the second when he when he got him down with that body shot, it just you know it just took a toll on him. Um, it was a great fight for Bredis. Uh You covered it well, Will. It wasn't a long fight, three rounds. Um, and, and, of course, uh, Akoli, him versus Akoli, that'll be a, a fight that we'll definitely uh, be up for, for watching. I mean, that'll be an exciting one to watch.
0: All right, next up, um, on a card out there in the U.K., you had Savannah Marshall, the silent assassin, um, she took on a young lady from Zambia, Lolita Muzea, you know, in a, in an action-packed fight. Uh, Danny, I know that you 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 saw that one. Uh, what did you think about the silent assassin's performance yesterday?
2: Yes, sir. Just to lay it out. Marshall is 11 and 0, nine knockouts, five eleven and a half, thirty and a half, 30 years old. She is a WBO middleweight champion. Musea uh, is now 16 and one, eight knockouts, 30 years old, and uh, was coming in as a challenger and also her first fight outside of Africa. So unfamiliar territory for her. Um, In round one, I I gave it to Marshall. Um, Musea came out swinging and she really applied a lot of pressure, but Marshall didn't necessarily seem to be bothered by it. That said, it was relatively close round. Uh, Musea had the volume, but Marshall had the more impactful shots. And towards the middle or towards the end of the round, uh she started the timer and was landing some pretty vicious uppercuts. And you could tell by the end of the round that Musea was hurt and was also kind of gassed. Now, round two first all, I want to give credit to Musea because she was she was game. You know what I mean? She was game, she came out aggressive again. Um, but it was to her detriment because Marshall was calculated with her punches, and she continued to time time her with her body shots and her uppercuts, and then with under 10 seconds left in that in that round. Um, She opened up on Mosea. She wasn't really defending herself. And the ref decided he had seen enough and he called it. So it was a good fight for as long as it lasted. Now, the network was very intentional about including Clarissa Shields watching this fight on their card. Now, for those of you unfamiliar, Marshall beat Shields in the amateurs in 2012. Um, And Clarissa Shields, her her amateur record was 77 and 1. So the only fight that she lost in the amateur of the pros was to savannah marshall uh, shields did going to win gold at the olympics in 2012 and 2016 and they haven't fought again this year but uh, marshall's promoter said after the fight that um, both women will be fighting on the same card against different opponents and the uk on december 11th so assuming they both handle business um, this should be setting up what i personally think is the biggest fight to be made in women's boxing right now in 2022 so we'll see what happens, but, you know, Marshall looked good, and that's all I got. You guys have anything?
1: Yeah, yeah, I checked this fight out, and, and for those who, who were saying women boxing, they don't, it's not in the action, or they don't have power, watch this fight, and and, and for and really watch Savannah Marshall, because she does have some knockouts, but watch this fight, uh, and, and Mosea, um, to her credit and to her De- uh, detriment, as you said. She just came, really came right at Marshall. I don't, I'm not sure what her game plan really was. Wait, was, she, was she trying to just overwhelm her or what? Um, and she, she had to know that that if she did all that and it didn't work, that she was going to be gassed. And that played right into Savannah Marshall. Uh, but it was, some, it was some excellent exchanges. Um, Mosea was, you know, successful in, you know, landing some shots and, and making this a very, very exciting fight. And Marshall you know, she played that dance power like, "Hey, look, hey, if you want to smoke, I got, I got the smoke for you." Um, and and, and those are some interesting, some vicious uppercuts too. Like, uh, even between the rounds, they were showing them in, in slow motion, and Muzia get hit with those uppercuts. I was like, "Ugh," <laughs> you know. So, it was it was definitely a, a very entertaining fight. Um, and and Savannah basically let Mosea just punch herself out and just went for. You know the, the stoppage and it was interesting that, that the ref saw enough and it was like probably two or three seconds on the clock if that but that that show goes to show you how hurt musea was looking at the end of, of the second round but moving forward i, I i'm i'm glad I'm, I'm happy that that there is a super fight to be made uh that boxing can finally you know get Chris' shields back because boxing almost lost her to mma And the the further she she went in that career, the worse it would have got. But we all know that boxing is still Carissa Shields' first love. And and there's a fight to be made. You know, Hispanic Marshall, she fights right at middleweight where Carissa Shields can comfortably, you know, make, you know, as Carissa herself can fight between one fifty four and 168. Um, And it's a super fight. I mean, Carissa Shields, she's the quote, you know, she's definitely the quote, you know, got a double gold medal. But it's that marketing-wise, that one person that she never could beat, that she didn't beat in the amateurs, and as Marshall got that power, and she's undefeated. So this is is definitely a, a super fight, and hopefully, the, the promotions, the promoters that's handling this, the the, the the future events, and and even the setup for this fight. So I hope they played the cards correctly and, and marketed correctly, and, and both girls, both women, they take care of business. Uh, I think it's, it'll be able to simmer and and pretty much in December. And I hope they take care of business and that super fight uh, can be made.
0: Yeah, I thought this was a, a very um, good fight, you know, as, as long as it lasted. As far as uh, Savannah Marshall, she's one of the most technically sound, brilliant fighters that you have. Just just class inside the ring. She's a machine, she's smooth. Um, I like how, like Mazea, like you said, she came out upon a tremendous amount of pressure. She jumped on Marshall early and out the gate. And what I like about Marshall, every time I say she's just so smooth like I've never seen her in a situation like that but she has never been in a situation like that based on the fights that I've seen but she's gonna be out there when you see Savannah Marshall you know that you're looking at an elite skill wise fighter like there's there's no way in the world that you can have 10 more better technically sound fighters you know what I mean like if if you say who's one of the most technically sound fighters in boxing she has to be like maybe pound for pound most technically sound because when Mosea and I I can't discredit Mosea for attempting to come out there and apply that type of pressure because she's not going to outskill Marshall and Marshall being so comfortable in the ring, the only way that you can, with, with the skill level that Mosea had, the only way that she could be competitive if she was going to be competitive is to try to get her out of that box that she's in. She can just, she can have like a tuxedo on and not be not sweat. You know what I mean? Like she could, she's that cool inside the ring, but on the flip side of that, I like that about Marshall is the fact that it's like when playing basketball. Like sometimes, and I always like kind of give these type of comparisons, but if you have somebody who's putting on a press, like they trying to pressure you, they all over, you got the ball. The easiest thing for you to do is make them do something that you want them to do. Okay, I know you're trying to press me. And so I'm gonna act like I'm gonna go this way and then I'm gonna go ahead and go this way. I'm just gonna move you around and I'm gonna be calm while I do it. I'm not gonna let you fluster me because the more you fluster me, that's when I can lose the ball. And she never gets out of that comfort zone where she's like, okay, you wanna bring this type of pressure. Let me go ahead and run you into these uppercuts. So I'm gonna lean to this way. And then once you come over, I'm just gonna pop you with the And She was just killing her with the uppercuts and those right hands. Um, just too much skill, you know what I mean? And then also on top of that, she's a star. You know what I mean? Just her presence that she has, she's gonna command her room. So when it comes to those interviews and things like that, she's not gonna get flustered. Cause even when Clarissa Shields, you know, gave her a little breakdown of their history about how she lost that one fight, but every time they were supposed to fight again, that Savannah would lose like it was four times that they were supposed to fight again but then she ended up losing the fight before she can face clarissa so she just listened to her and what she had to say and since she just politely said that clarissa you won't last two um rounds with me or something like that she said but it was just so cool but just that 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 ability to like in the moment be quick with it like that you know and that's something like a tyson fury has that too and emmanuel stewart always talked about that about the gypsy king where he said that he came to detroit and by the time he he left, everybody was asking him, like, when, when is he coming back? You know, ladies liking him and all that type of stuff. They just have that charisma about them, and she has that. And so going into this December 11th match, I'm glad that they're doing this, where they got both fighters on the bill. They're setting up this huge mega match in women's boxing. I hope it sells well. The only other fight to me in women's boxing that's as big and can propel women's boxing, I don't know how far it can go, but it definitely will propel women's boxing to another level, is that fight. And if they can have the Katie Taylor and Amanda Serrano fight somewhere around there too, then you'll have a lot of eyes glued on boxing because you have four of the most skilled and talented fighters that you possibly can have, you know, um, competing against each other. And it's similar to the Wilder Fury type thing. Like I said last week, you know what I mean? The more you have the best fighting the best and they're showcasing those skills, it can only do wonders for the sport of boxing. But shout out to Marshall, shout out to Clarissa, you know what I mean? Um, but it was Savannah's night yesterday.
2: Now, on that same card, uh, Chris Eubank Jr. came back to fight Wanek Audijan. Will, you saw that one as well, I understand.
0: Yeah, I checked it out right before the Marshall fight. Um, Chris Eubank, he was supposed to fight a couple of weeks ago. The fight got postponed, so he ended up fighting against um, Yannick Abidan. And so... Chris Eubank, 32 years old, coming in the fight. He was 32 uh, with 23 KOs, 5'11", 72 and a half inch reach. Abedin, it was 28-1 with 11 KOs, a uh, 6'2", 26-year-old southpaw out of Germany. Um, you know, Eubank now is being coached by Roy Jones. Unfortunately, Eubank, you know, he came in with a heavy heart because his brother, he lost his brother Sebastian a few weeks ago. Um, so, you know. Blessings to them, you know, and my condolences to to Eubank, the Eubank family. Now, Eubank, you know, coming into this fight, what I always know, he got that wild style that's very similar to his father. You know, he throw those wide, looping shots, and um, he has a granted chance, you know, similar to his his father. Now, this fight, what I noticed early on is that Roy Jones is starting to, to rub off on Eubank. You know, he's starting to look like a little Roy Jones a little bit, you know, with his left low, right hand slightly a little bit higher. Um, but that stance that he's fighting in and he's not as wild as he was before, but he also implement the Roy Jones stuff with who he, you know, is, you know, naturally. So it's, it's a good mix. It's just, you know, you don't know how well that's, that, that style is going to play out once he ups the level of his opposition, but round one, I gave it to Avedon. I thought that he boxed well from outside. Um, but I thought he slightly did the better work. So I gave Avedon the first round, round two, you was, um, Trying to measure Aviden, You know, Abedin was on the outside trying to measure uh, Eubank as well. But I thought that all in all, the harder shots was landed by Eubank in the second round. Aviden was bison well in the third. Um, but then after a while, that's when Eubank began to do his, the best work that he was doing throughout the course of the fight by landing heavy body shots on the ropes and a couple of case, occasional punches up top. And what I also noticed in about 11, maybe about the third round is that anytime that Eubank would, you know, step on the pressure or up his pressure, you know, or I should say press on the gas that he would get the better of Avidan, And then in the fourth round, Eubank, you know, he was stalking Avidan, and he pretty much took over the rest of the way. And then at the end of the fifth round, he caught Avidan with a shot to the body. Abedin, um in the between rounds five and round six, he was telling his corner that after the body shot that he was having trouble breathing, and so they put a halt to the fight, giving Eubank a stoppage victory in the fifth round. Now, to me, what this fight did is, you know, good win for Eubank in terms of learning what he's learning with Roy Jones, implementing the style, something that Wilder should have probably did before the, the Fury fight, you know what I mean? Because he tried a lot of stuff, that against Fury that worked well, but he probably would have been better off had he fought somebody else so he can know what to add to that or what not to do and also the fatigue type factor. So I thought it was a good idea for him to take a fight against somebody like Avidan, you know, to get his confidence up and then just work on what Roy Jones is trying to implement um in each training session. Now he's saying after the fight that he wants Liam Williams. I think that it's enough of that for um, those type of fights for um you bank like he, he he's like you can't keep fighting at those level guys. like we know that you can be successful against those guys and it's not doing much more for you in your career you need to step the level up of your competition if you want to really make some noise and get and maximize what you have left um and solidify your claim as you know a really good fighter in the sport of boxing so instead of like going for liam williams or somebody like that i think it's time for him to step it up and face somebody like a Charlo, somebody like an Andrade, or even Gennady Golovkin. This would be a perfect time for him to take on Gennady because when they were trying to set the matchup before, I don't think he was ready. It was too open for shots, and I thought either Gennady was going to get him out of there or really hurt him pretty bad. Um, had they fought several years ago when he was fighting like his father, you know, just being like a raw talented type guy. Um, but um, all in all, I think it was a good win. But now it's time for him to step up the level of his opposition.
2: Yeah. When I, when I hear the name now, I don't have a clear direction. I don't get a clear direction of where he wants to go in his career because it's like none of these fights. Well, not, the, not including this one, because this one kind of, he just kind of had to, it, it played out the way it did and it kind of had to, but he still leaves too many questions to be answered. And those questions are only going to be answered against those next level talents. talent. So to your point, I'm just going to say that I hope that he does get someone better than, a no disrespect to Liam Williams, but I hope he gets someone better than a Liam Williams. Um, so we can really see what he has to offer to the sport of boxing right now. Absolutely.